This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning or winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, this is Comic Book Commentary. Uh, with you today, I am Ben Khan. And today we're going to be looking at Griffin, Galaxy's Most Wanted, number one. Uh, Griffin is a new sci-fi book uh, from my, written by myself and drawn by Bruno Hidalgo and lettered by Sal Cipriano. It's being released by SBI Press as a digital series. Uh, and you can find the first uh, chapter one. And today we're going to be looking at the chapters one and two, which makes up the fu- uh, full issue. It's being released on Comixology, so we're doing half-issue releases that are going to be coming out every two to three weeks. Uh, it, the release, Chapter 1 is coming out on May 1st, with Chapter 2 out on May 15th. All right, that's a little, back, that's a little background on where it's going to be, so now let's uh, dive right into it. Uh, the cover, here, we're going by the cover for Comixology, it's going to... Gives you a nice little overview of the main cast over here, uh, mostly looking at uh, Captain Lila Griffin on the front. And let's just dive right in. Uh, This uh, starts with a nice little Star Wars scroll recap. And, you know, for an issue one, brand new series, uh, brand new characters, brand new concept. Uh, It's meant to kind of usher you into the world. So why not just let you have it? Uh, Captain Lila Griffin dedicated their life to the Sovereign Reach. A veteran of missions of a dozen worlds, they were the pride of humanity. Six months ago, they disappeared at the edge of the galaxy. One week ago, they returned. And from there, we immediately cut to page one, where Griffin is on trial. They're being court-martialed by the Sovereign Reach. Uh, Panel one lets you know right away that we are in space. Welcome to sci-fi land, if all the spaceships on the cover didn't tip you off. And also that's called Galaxy's Most Wanted. We're in outer space. Welcome. There's no air or anything out here. Um, and before we start, uh, one thing I do want to note about the character of Lila Griffin is, and you see it in that little uh, introduction, is that the character does use they, them pronouns. Uh, they, some You'll see them be misgendered throughout, sometimes throughout, because 
fortunately, they live in a fascist dickhole of a of a universe, and that's how fascists do. Uh, but it was something more to me to have this character uh, be proud of their identity, to stand for it, and own it for themselves, even when the rest of the world is trying to knock them down for it. But yes, uh, Griffin will be referred is uh, meant to be referred to using they them pronouns. So right on this first page, one thing that I love that Bruno did is just the way it plays with space. Just everything in this room is meant to be big and foreboding, just comically large judges benches, everyone looking down on her. And yet even then with that bright orange jumpsuit and the bright pink hair, Griffin is still almost commanding the room, even though they're the one on trial. And we get a nice little intro right into that as they hold court, even being the ones held on trial, giving them the chance to have a nice little tirade into just who the Sovereign Reach are. Uh, not very nice people. If it, as they say, it, as Griffin says, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and genocides planets like a duck, maybe the duck is a fascist at face. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I'm going to err on not swearing. In that case, uh, yeah, in that, I've been told I can swear, so the duck is a fascist fuckface. And that was as crazy as Lila Griffin is, at least in this issue one, where we're really self-contained to this prison ship that um, chapters one and two are all about escaping from. Uh, it's not until a little later in the series that you're really going to see what, like, viscerally and up close, what life with the Reach is like. So to me, it was important that at least in these early chapters and these early pages, uh, we establish what the Reach is, at least from the viewpoint of Griffin, the character we're going to be following. Um, granted, Griffin's a liar and you can't take them at their word for much, but in this case, the Reach are very much the worst. Um, and we also learn a little about their view. Uh, their views are kind of shaped by science and technology and how of all the reaches crimes, it might be their stagnate, their societal stagnation. That is what motivates Griffin the most to fight against. Uh, it doesn't really seem to be the most lofty of justice or ideals that motivates Griffin, but they are very, very motivated by something all the same. And as it turns out, the, this dramatic tirade was kicked off by a question of a lunch order. Um, normally I applaud winging it, but when the options are chicken or vegetarian, most people don't like tirades against society. Uh, but we do get introduction to the at least in my eyes, because I care about tiny nonsense details, that green jello is Griffin's least favorite flavor, which it is. Green's terrible. Is it lime? Is it sour apple? Doesn't matter. It's terrible. Going to get a lot of people, going to get a lot of green jello fans upset with this issue. And we move there from the trial into, there we get our first introduction to Telika who will be uh, Griffin's right-hand uh, right hand officer, whether Telika likes it or not. Um, but we see here 
uh, that she's actually serving as one of the few Alien Reach um, soldiers. And again, these are the end. You can really see that these uh, the Alien soldiers are really on the bottom of the, the ladder. Uh, even their supposed comrades in the Reach really kick them around, uh, are not happy about them even serving. Um, and again, just the Reach being just the fascist dickholes that they are. Because that's what they do. Um, but again, someone, Telika, here I was interested, it was, these pages were a little difficult to write, actually, just because from the beginning I got so used to getting to write Griffin and their wonderful, chaotic forward momentum that it was a little jarring, right? Going back to writing characters that didn't drag the plot with them kicking and screaming. But it was, it's really nice because Teleco will really be kind of the, you know, not so much the angel on the shoulder, but at least the practical, uh, practical person on Griffin's shoulder. So I want to show that, um, really want to show what an alien's perspective on the reach is and obviously very against them given that she's a undercover resistance operative uh, planning on breaking Griffin out of prison. Um, as we see on page, we see now on page five, uh, we have Griffin, we have Telika making contact with her handler in the resistance, uh, a weird looking, ugly cat alien in sunglasses named Rojan, uh, who we will be seeing a lot more of in chapters three and four. But in the meantime, just know that Rojan is the leader of the resistance. And he's also kind of the worst, as we'll find out soon. Um, but yeah, no, we again, we get to see... Telika is for a spy is not always is it's not that she's not assertive it's just that she's usually surrounded by far more assertive people so even though so even uh playing up this little level of meekness around the other reach soldiers um it's exciting um seeing or at least she's almost jumping at the opportunity to break this undercover and at least get back to fighting the reach and more direct means and uh get to see griffin at dinner time that's uh you know some nice prison cuisine uh griffin enjoying a little bit of chicken uh griffin big believer in the five second rule uh if you're reading from the comicsology version uh griffin is actually holding this chicken right there on the cover because Bruno is a weird genius madman. And when he sends me covers with just dramatic chicken, I question nothing and we go right to print or digital print, whatever the digital equivalent of printing is. Um, we get to see the, because of course, if Griffin is going to ask for anything but green jello, you know that they're going to get green jello naturally. Um, and with that is a legendary feud between Griffin and this prison guard born. Uh, the first act of the war is the guard with jello in her hair 
And act two is Griffin being violently electrocuted, which I think is a reasonable escalation of conflict in that feud. Um, but fortunately, Telika is here to break Griffin out. Uh, Griffin, um, we don't see it, but the implication here is that Telika and Griffin have been communicating uh, while during this week that Griffin has been imprisoned and... Griffin has offered to come join the resistance, to become a leader of the resistance, especially to give the resistance all of the information that they knew from being a captain of the Reach, uh, from all their years doing all the terrible stuff that evil space empires do. Uh, That plan goes to shit pretty much immediately because turns out Griffin has kind of been lying. Um, Griffin has no interest in joining the resistance, uh, no interest in leading them and very much has their own plan that they're going, that they're, they want to pursue. Um, and this is where I get to have my little fun, uh, taking everything I just learned and observed from way too many YouTube history video, YouTube history videos and cartoons and throwing my grand nonsense theories of resistance and societal change at you, the lovely comic book reading audience. Um, so Griffin, for as much as they're committed to taking down the reach, has absolutely no interest in your resist- in your traditional resistance, your good old-fashioned Star Wars rebellion, to Griffin's mind is a worthless waste of time. Um, make of that what you will. Um, but that's where Griffin's at is that you're that, you know, that very traditional sci-fi concept of if there is an evil empire, then there has to be a good heroic resistance. And often that's not the case. Often your resistance is just as worse as, your evil empire or they accomplish nothing or the cycle continues. And Griffin is interested in not just taking down an empire and replacing them with exact same thing, if that's even possible, but tearing down all the foundations of society, the technological possibilities that allow society to function. Um, so the traditional resistance offers no interest to Griffin. They're not necessarily seeking a good versus evil. They're just looking to change. They hate the they hate what the universe is under the reach, and they want to change it. Good, bad, good change, bad change, catastrophic change does not really matter. Uh, the key operative is change, and that is really what drives Griffin's ideology because they are an ideologically driven character. And again, to me, that's the biggest uh, appeal to them and the most fun writing them is just this character, everything this character believes, they believe it with everything they've got and they're willing to burn a universe down in order to see their vision uh, fulfilled. And are they the good guy? Are they the bad guy? I don't know. Up to you. They're neutral. No, they're not. They're not neutral at all. I don't know why I said they're neutral. They're, but um, yeah, no, thank you for letting me ramble now about Griffin's rambly ideology. 
Um, but the example they use is the French Revolution uh, versus the Industrial Revolution, uh, namely that, uh, and I'm very and I'm just proud of this line. They replaced a bourbon with a Bonaparte. Whoopty fucking do. And to Griffin, that's the ultimate example of your traditional resistance not working. You, the entire thing was explicitly justice, better nature, human freedom, and it replaced one one king with a different emperor. What was the point of any of it? Whereas in Griffin's mind, whether the change led to a better world or a worse world, the Industrial Revolution came around only a few decades later, and every aspect of the planet for every human being on it was changed dramatically. So whatever Griffin's, uh, so whatever form taking down the reach is in Griffin's mind, it's not one done through your traditional resistance, military operations. Uh, It's a science expedition. It's introducing a bunch of disruptive, untested science and to change society. And whatever ends up out of it, at least the universe will have gotten the chance to change after all these years of reach stagnation. And, uh, yeah, Telica's not that into that plan. Not so much. Uh, this is someone who's dedicated uh, her life to the resistance, has gone undercover, has risked everything, and now this batshit crazy... Uh, traitorous reach space captain is sticking a knife in their throat and pretty much taking them hostage on a crazy star sci-fi plan. Um, and yeah, Telika is now Griffin's very, very reluctant, uh, number two, uh, or number one, whatever the right hand number is. Um, and this was fun. This was just a lot of fun showing how quickly Griffin can go back and forth between uh, intense, violent, willing to do whatever it takes, and your best friend who wants to go out for brunch, all within the span of 20 seconds. Uh, it's just plain fun getting to write a character this unstable who you don't know what they're capable of and what they might do at any time. Uh, case in point, as chapter one ends with Telika's careful escape plan being thrown out the window in favor of Griffin letting out all of the prisoners and starting a space prison riot. And that brings us to the end of chapter one. Now we're going to load up chapter two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, if you're still following along here, this is chapter two of Griffin, um, which is, again, with chapter forms a the length of a full issue. Uh, chapter two will be out on Comixology through SBI Press on May 15th. Uh, we've got a nice little cover here of Griffin in there. Um, so, yes, if you are 
uh, listening in from Free Comic Book Day and you've read chapter one and you don't want any spoilers, uh, stop reading, download it on May 15th, read it, come back here, get some commentary on chapter two. All right. Now then, it's May 15th. It's after May 15th. You've read chapter two. Let's dive in. Uh, we get that. I love this shot here of Griffin in their full Captain Regalia. Um, a lot of the ideas we had were kind of uh, Captain Hardock or Hal from Hal's Moving Castle. Um, but generally kind of trying to take a spe- that kind of sci-fi uh, space captain look and just merge with those kind of fantastical swashbuckling heroes and kind of add Griffin to that great adventurous space captain pantheon. Yes. And again, this is written by myself uh, with art by Bruno Hidalgo and lettered by Sal Cipriano. Um, and as befitting a, and from here are starting with chapter two and going on throughout the rest of the series. Uh, the uh, chapters will now have a recap page in the form of a uh, Lila Griffin's uh, captain's log. I figure this book is inspired by Star Trek to a great degree. Kind of a Star Trek if you had no faith in humanity or creating a better society. Um, so I thought, what uh, more befitting a Star Trek inspired series than having a nice little captain's log? So uh, every chapter will now feature a nice recap of the previous straight from Griffin's perspective. And chapter two throws us right into the prison riot that Griffin started uh, last chapter in in the end of chapter one. Uh, And I do like their explanation that instead of the guards looking for just them, uh, all the guards are now looking for all the prisoners. So who's going to notice them sneaking around? Uh, And we also meet the guard from chapter one that gave Griffin uh, the green jello. And, you know, ideological crusades to end galactic civilizations aside, some dessert-based feuds come first. Um, we get uh, Telika a little confused by Griffin's order of no killing, which immediately, what, from what we know about Griffin, certainly does not seem in character and definitely doesn't seem in character when Griffin stabs the guard right through the chest with a sword. Um, definitely doesn't fit a whole no killing pacifism vibe, but as Griffin explains, it is the culmination of their promise to kill the jello guard first. Uh, and Griffin is nothing if not a stickler for incredibly minor, stupid details that only they care about. Um, and this is also where Griffin gets their sword that they'll be using throughout the series, a kind of a nice glowing pirate sword. Um, Part of the reason for uh, giving Griffin a sword was um, primarily just that I think sword fights in space are really, really cool, and I wanted to do lots of them. Um, But I think definitely a deeper, a little more personal reason for doing it was uh, this is a character that glorifies violence uh, that uses that rushes to gory displays of power to solve problems and in general and it's all still meant to be uh, 
in a fun comedic way and with the character's attitude towards violence, I personally didn't feel comfortable with the character using a gun. Uh, not to say that other characters don't use a gun. Uh, Telika shoots a man in the face you know, almost right away on, on this on this page, uh, page two of chapter two. But still, given Griffin's specific glorification of violence, it felt easier to it felt a little less uncomfortable for it to be with a more fantastical, unrealistic gun or weapon that doesn't reflect some of the more, um, you know, unfortunate parts of our reality. Um, But yeah, no, thinking about where I am, I think, uh, yeah, Griffin doesn't use a gun at any point in the series. They are a sword envy. Um, And we also learn that uh, if Griffin's whole plan is to use super science to remake society, doesn't really work with a crazy space captain and one undercover officer. Um, and Griffin, and we get our first look at Elliot Dow, uh, quote unquote, smartest man in the universe and Griffin's plan and the science part of Griffin's whole science hero shtick. Um, oh, man. And now we're on uh, page five. Uh, we're now on page four. Um, and just, oh boy, Bruno. Bruno, Bruno, and your wonderfully gory art. Uh, for those not following along, this is panel one features Griffin slicing a man in half, brain and eyeball included. Uh, in the script, it says Griffin slashes at a guard. <laughs> But there has always been a, but I've been working with Bruno for almost, Bruno Hidalgo for almost a decade. Uh, This is our third collaboration together. Our first book was Shaman from Locust Moon Press, which came out in 2015. And then we did Heavenly Blues uh, with Scout Comics in 2017, 2018. And there's always been a very gory side to Bruno's art that I've kind of kept in check, hasn't been right for the story. Uh, I'm no longer keeping Bruno's violence side in check. And I love Bruno. I know I don't want to spend any time in his head. No, I kid. Uh, but no, it's this book definitely has gory violence, uh, fun gory violence, good old-fashioned Mortal Kombat-style gory fun violence. Um but after so many years of kind of holding Bruno back and being like, not sure this is the right story for that level. It's been nice being able to kind of take off the cuffs and being like, go ho hog. Um, and we also learned that, you know, uh, that we also learned here that uh, there's a bit of a romantic connection between Griffin and Dr. Elliot Dow, um, which uh, I kind of wanted to skip the will they, won't they and just, go right into exploring a couple very much in the early stages of their relationship, but uh, have already decided to be a couple, Um, you know, in heavenly blues that Bruno and I did was one of my first chances really kind of again to do a romance with the, uh, some of the supporting characters. And now I want to, with Griffin kind of explore a relationship in a little bit of a different phase, uh, even if they are crazy space criminals. But as it turns out, uh, Telika knows about Dow. 
Dow is a bit famous for, what is it here? Uh, oh yeah, Crimes Against Humanity. Uh, turns out that Dow had uh, genetically engineered a death cult and a death cult of superhuman soldiers that took over a few colonies and has since been thrown in prison for his illegal experiments. Uh, those down notes, he only do, did the genetic enhancements. They made the death cult all on their own, which uh, it tends to be a bit of a theme for Dow's character. Um, he pursues science at all costs, and for as much as he philosophizes about morality not ex- necessarily existing uh, when un- when unimpeachably bad consequences of his work are presented in front of him, he almost always seems to have some excuse or some way of rationalizing himself out of responsibility, um, which wasn't necessarily a character, an intentional character trait I was consciously thinking of. But as I was writing the book, it just became a facet of his character that the way he kind of just powers through and just keeps satisfying his endless, boundless scientific curiosity and moving through no matter what effect on the universe it has, is that he cannot ascribe uh, responsibility to that. And I don't know. Seems like it could be a fun character arc to explore one day. We will see. Uh, But yeah, but uh, we also learned that he stuck uh, some, that he has uh, neural cybernetics in his head. He's got some good old fashioned robot parts. And that was my way of both having my cake and eating it too, because this book is very much about science, its role in society, the effects it can have. And I definitely want to, I definitely want science to be more than just an excuse for cool things to exist. I definitely want to explore what it means to be a scientist and what science's role is. Uh, And one of the, you know, the things that one of the, bad tropes of science that science fiction is most guilty of is the super genius scientist who has mastered every branch of science from nuclear physics to organic chemistry and can invent anything all on his own. And it's ridiculous. Um, But at the same time, I didn't want to have 20 characters in order to have a realistic science team. So I had to condense it all down into one But at the same time, the fact that he had to uh, cybernetically enhance his brain and take the time to and and use that to gain more knowledge than one person ever can actually gain. Um, Again, my way of having my cake and eating it too, but at least we hang a bit of a lampshade that it is ridiculous for one person to know every branch of science, even as we introduce this man who knows every branch of science. And next scene we have, uh, I, I didn't even, I barely knew how to describe the spaceship I had in mind, um, for that Griffin and their crew, uh, will use, but Bruno just absolutely nailed it, designed a spaceship design that I absolutely love. And I love this shot here. Uh, I love this shot here on page set on page six of Griffin standing of Griffin standing on the scaffolding looking down on the ship. Um 
And we get, and as they go down to deal with the guards, we get a nice little conversation between Telika and Dao, and it's not nice at all. Uh, Telika, still the hostage, uh, not happy about being in this at all, uh, trying to kind of plant a seed of doubt between uh, Dao and Griffin. Um, unfortunately, Dao is completely nihilistic and has been used and is far too used uh, used to being used by everyone in the galaxy, which I think can be an unfortunate, you know, just part of the idea that we about not value, I think not valuing science for its own sake, not valuing pure research and the unfortunate use of, you know, uh, government interference to get certain, to hide certain results, uh, which, you know, certainly describes the reach to a T, whether it's, you know, just petty differences, whether it's uh, military, whether it's uh, corporations, just all the ways that for Dow, who's only just cares about getting answers to the endless questions he has about the universe, there's always someone at the other end, someone who wants to help him and achieve his science. There's always someone at the other end just looking to use him, someone to use him and his findings for their own end. If it's not the amazing, crazy, like non, like non-binary space captain, he's doing it with. Who's better? So, if he's, he'd either be doing science or rotting in jail, and that's and that's a pretty easy decision for Dow. Um, and yeah, it's kind of it was kind of fun showing that uh, they're a little bit of a. I, I want to show that morally or kind of philosophically, uh, Dow and Griffin are. Uh, there's a lot, there's a fair amount of overlap. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to, and hopefully that kind of comes across as a reason for their more romantic connection. Um, and goddamn, Bruno does love his gore. Again, this scene has decapitated heads, intestines being ripped out, blood everywhere. And the script just said Griffin slashes at some guards. Uh, uh, if you're an aspiring comic book writer, number one piece of advice, find yourself an find yourself a good artist and never stop appreciating them and thanking them every single day. Um and we do get a little bit of good old fashioned liquid nitrogen grenade showing that even that um uh, you know, letting Dow be a little bit of a science hero out there. He doesn't he's very much not an action guy. He's very much uh, a bit of the scientific brains behind the operation, but it's kind of nice seeing him get to kind of use his ingenuity right off the bat and help out in this situation. And we get to see a frozen person just get their face shattered in, which I don't know, maybe again, that's the Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero fan in me, but I'm always, but I love that effect. Oh, we get to see... Uh, Telika, after multiple times mentioning her escape plan throughout chapters one and two, finally gets to carry it out with a bomb in the hangar. Uh, the Reach are terrible and not uh, noticing things. Uh, and we get to see them make our escape. Uh, this page 10 on panel two is really kind of the first time we get to see the soon-to-be-named ship uh, flying out of the prison and 
I, I just love seeing I just love seeing that spaceship take off for the first time. And uh Telika gets for her ingenious use of explosive of explosions and not blowing themselves up along the way is promoted from hostage to first officer, which is typically how those chains of promotion that uh chain of advancement goes. Um and here, as they're flying away, they get contacted by Admiral Rosalind Hunter. Uh, Hunter appeared in the very beginning of Chapter One, and the, they were leading the tri- she was leading the trial against uh, Lila Griffin. Uh, Hunter is uh, one of the most powerful admirals in the Reach fleet. Um, she is very much the main uh, villain of the story. Uh, she's someone that, as it turns out, has a lot of history with Griffin uh, that gets revealed as the story goes on. And uh, she gets a really introduced and you get to see a lot of Hunter's uh, mindset and what drives her and what motivates her in chapters uh, three and in, in, chap- in chapters three and four. Um, so, again, uh, chapter three, which comes out June 5th. So a lot more of Rosalind, of uh, Admiral Rosalind Hunter there and find out just what makes her such a terrifying threat uh, for Griffin to face. But uh, we also find out from Hunter that the name of the ship that they've stolen is the RSS Cheney, which is just, no, no, why? What kind of backwards, shitty ass, terrible fuckhead society names a spaceship after Dick Cheney? And again, as the writer, that's just me showing, trying to communicate uh, that the values of the Reach are so warped and so sadistic and so twisted that the historical figure, that the kind of historical figure they venerate to the point of naming a ship after is Dick Cheney. Um, so first order of business uh, for Lila is to rename the is to rename their ship and uh, the name Dow suggests is the is uh, to rename them the USS Alhatham. Uh, the Alhatham comes from Ibn Alhatham, who was an 11th century uh, Islamic mathematician who devised who kind of uh, who devised the scientific method and historically speaking, is then thus considered the first real true scientist. So, again, in this world, everything is political. We have the world that we have. So, to me, naming the uh, the ship after an Islamic scientific figure was an important way of just showing, you know, in-universe and without who Griffin is and what this story stands for. Um, and as we, and as the smoke clears, uh, so thus the ship becomes the USS Alhatham. And as the smoke clears, we get to see Griffin for the first time out of their prison uniform and in their full captain regalia, dramatic cape, glowing pink sword. And thus we take off into adventures unknown through science and violence and fighting fascists with science. And those are the first two chapters of Griffin. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, comic book commentary. Um, Again, 
Griffin Chapter 1 will be out on Comixology May 1st, and Chapter 2 will be out through SBI on May 15th, and Chapter 3, check that out on June 5th. And if you want to get more updates from Griffin, uh, follow me on Twitter at, at BenTheCon, uh, B-E-N, the K-A-H-N. And uh, check me, and you can find my appearances, and if you're looking, and find uh, old works from me and Bruno at BenConComics.com. And again, Thank you for listening in on this tour through Griffin. This has been Comic Book Commentary. Have a good one. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.